I had no idea she was going to write a sentence on each one. It said that this is number blank of 250. And she wrote on a lot of them, isn't that a magical number? This is such a magical number. And then she signed her name. It's just so sweet. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms. And this is Wednesday's Plumfield in Person. I'm Sarah Masaryk, and I'm here with Diane Pendergraft, and today we have a real treat for you. We are welcoming Jill Morgan of Purple House Press back onto the show to tell us more stories about beloved authors that she's had the privilege of working with. Jill, we're so pleased to have you here today and to talk about Elizabeth Orton Jones, the author and creator of Twig and Big Susan. And we know that you had a really special relationship with Elizabeth Orton Jones, who you call Twig. Why do you call her Twig? Everybody called her Twig. In the 1940s, Elizabeth Orton Jones illustrated a book for a friend of hers named Gladys Adshead, and she lived in Mason, New Hampshire. So Twig got on the train, went up there, and somebody picked her up at the station, and they were driving along. And he said, oh, that's that house is up for back taxes. And she said, what does that mean? And she found out it meant that it was for sale if you could just pay the back taxes and you could have the farm. So she inquired and it was $2,000 for the house, the barn and 36 acres. And she had told me her whole life, she was just a lucky person because on that day, she happened to have a check in her purse for $2,000. It was her first royalty check from the book Twig. So Twig bought her that farm. She bought it and she lived in that house for the rest of her life until she passed away at the age of 94. So she was willing to move from where she was because Mm -hmm. this is the house she wanted to have and because Twig bought it for her. She must have just fallen in love with it. And, (laughs) you know, I guess the price was right. It was paid for by the job she had just finished. So is that. And it was Twig's house. So she became Twig. Well, yes. And she also told me that her girls bought the house for her and fixed it up. Twig Twig paid for it. And the next book she did was Little Red Riding Hood. And the check she got from that book was also $2,000. And it paid for a new heater, air conditioner, everything. Fixed up the house for her. And then she got a check from Big Susan and think she said that one put a roof on the the house it needed a new roof so that her three girls bought the farm for her and fixed it up oh how sweet is that (laughs) yeah yeah those she called those her girls twig big susan and little red riding hood (laughs) it's very sweet but after she moved to mason her friend started introducing her as Twig just because that was the name of her book. And it just stuck. She was always called Twig from that day on. And she must have loved that. I think she did. I think she secretly absolutely loved it. Twig was her alter ego anyway, right? (laughs) Probably. Twig is just full of imagination. It's just a wonderful story. And she was just a wonderful, sweet woman. So I can see how she created Twig. Twig is one of the first Purple House Press books I've ever read. It's one that's not currently on my shelves because every time I loan it out, 
it doesn't come home. Oh, well, that's, that's good for the other person, but not for you. <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind buying her again because it is such an enchanting book. And I figure that if Twig is living on in somebody else, on somebody else's shelves, perhaps she's living on in some other little girl's heart and imagination. And that's totally fine with me. <laughs> Well, good. That's good to know. <laughs> did you grow up reading Twig? How did you find Twig? Why did you decide to publish Twig? I did not. But when I sold out of print books, it was one of my most requested books. And then I happened to find a copy as a library discard. Then I brought it home. I wanted to see what the big deal was. And my daughter and I read it. She was six years old at the time. We read it aloud and I did most of the book, but when Elf came around, she always did Elf's voice and a little squeaky voice. And she just thought that was the most fun thing. <laughs> That's something both of us are always going to remember. So, I mean, we fell in love with the book. That was before I started publishing. So I set it up on my shelf of books that I thought, well, maybe one day if I ever decide to do this, this will be one that I want to do. Oh, that's beautiful. So in a way, Twig probably paved the way for your publishing company, the way that she bought Elizabeth Orton Jones a house. <laughs> she helped you set up your company in a way, didn't she? Well, yes, definitely. In the beginning, Twig was our best-selling book for probably five years. Oh, wow. Because I think I told you this before, but early on, each of our books had famous or influential person who remembered it and helped us promote them. And in this case, it was Eleanor Edmondson. She was the owner of Bob Blue, the Blue Stocking catalog where they sold books. Oh. And this, this was her favorite book. And she contacted us and we were more than happy to work with them. But she had this really nice write-up of the book. She sold thousands and thousands Wow. wow. And so people found out about it that way. And so they bought it, you know, not just from her, but other places as well. So it, it, it just really worked out. I really think Twig was our best-selling book for more than five years. Wow. Well, it is an absolutely enchanting book. <laughs> It's just so special. It's magical. And it's, it and that's, you know, the, we had a signed limited edition of the books and I asked her if she would mind signing them first. And she said, Oh, that'd be great. And so I ended up sending her a box of papers that were all printed and said, you know, this special edition is number, you know, whatever. And I asked her if she could sign each page and then I was going to send them back to the printer and they bind them into the books. I had no idea she was going to write a sentence on each one. It said that this is number blank of 250. And she wrote on a lot of them, isn't that a magical number? This is such a magical number. And then she signed her name. It's just so sweet. Oh, well, those must be real keepsakes for people. I mean, that is really fantastic. Yeah, that's just her outlook on life. She was just, you know, a fun person. She always looked on the bright side and, and she saw magic and everything. Clearly. I mean, that's the whole point of Twig is that mm -hmm. the, the little girl named Twig sees all these ordinary things and makes them into something completely magical. It is uh, just such a wonderful, wonderful way to view the world. And really special to know that Elizabeth Orton Jones was like that herself. 
It was. Twig was an actual little girl that she saw riding the train in Chicago. She just saw this little girl out the window and there was a tenement house. And she said the little girl was on the fourth floor and she was just looking down into this bare yard. It was just all dirt. And she said she saw some cans on the ground and a dandelion and some drain pipe water. And that's what she saw just for a few seconds. And she just kept that little girl in her mind as she was riding the train. And that's how the book started. She lived in Highland Park, Illinois. She was going to school there. And she was, said she was taking her portfolio in for somebody to look at. And when she saw that little girl, she stayed on the train. She didn't get off. She went all the way around to see if she could see the girl again. Wow. <laughs> and I think she said the girl was there the second time and she stayed on the train again because she wanted to go around and just look at the girl again, but she wasn't there the third time. <laughs> and then she came home that night and she started writing the book and she said she wanted the little girl to have a very plain, simple name. And so she was thinking of calling her Pebble. And I just read this in one of the letters she sent me. She said she woke up the next morning and looked out of her window and there was a, a tree branch and there was a bluebird on it. And she just decided at that second that the girl's name was going to be Twig. And she thought it was better because a twig is a living, breathing thing and a rock just sits there and does nothing. So oh. <laughs> that's, that's how she said she picked Twig over Pebble. So how did you find Elizabeth Orton Jones? What was the process for finding her? And then how did you get to know her? And what was her reaction when you told her that you wanted to reprint this book? I don't know. I think I just looked her up, you know, using the white pages, you know, like 20 years ago, things were a little different. <laughs> you can just <laughs> Google things. <laughs> yeah. I found her, I think in the white pages and I wrote her a letter. I said, I wanted to publish her book. Oh, wow. And she called me. And she called you. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. What was her voice like? Oh, she had a crackly little old voice. You know, she was a little old lady. She had a little crackly voice. And we, we had a lot of phone conversations over the years. I knew her for, I think, four years before she passed away. And she liked to keep in touch. You know, she wrote me a lot of letters and called, we called each other when we had ideas or, you know, like, um, uh, if, if Bob Lou wanted to buy uh, a lot of books of hers, I would call her cause she would get all excited. And I just wanted her to feel like she was part of all this good news. And, um, yeah, so I can hear her voice in my head for several years after she passed away, but I can't hear it anymore. I just remember that it was a crackly voice, but I, I can't hear her talking anymore. But you remember how you feel or how you felt? Yes, I remember how I felt speaking with her. It was just a treat. It was an absolute treat, but um, that all ended um, like 17 years ago. So I, I can't hear her anymore. <laughs> I don't have any recordings either, so. And that's part of why we want to do this is to capture some of these memories, even though she might be gone, the way that you are excited about her is coming through in your voice. And I feel like we get to participate in that a little bit just by listening to you. So thank you for letting us do this. Oh, well, that's a sweet thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> 
So you were sharing with Diane and I the other day, some of Twig's letters to you and, and specifically you quoted to us how uh, she felt when she got the copy of your reprint of Twig. (laughs) Can you share that with us? Let me see if this is the letter. Yes, this was the first letter um, that I had on top here. It's dated September 5th, 2001. She always dated her letters. And oh, it's like, and the date that she was born was June 25th, but she always called it half past Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I love that half past Christmas. (laughs) That's just how she was, you know, that's how she saw things. So, okay. So here's the, the letter she wrote after she had gotten the new copy of Twig. Dear Jill, we owe, what can I say about this fabulous rebirth of Twig at age 61? I wish this could happen to everybody. There she is, her original self, first edition, and her new stunning self side by side on my bookcase windowsill. Her old original self looking all weak and pale with gray hair even. And beside her, 61-year-old self just bursting with life, twinkling with fun and full of living, breathing energy. Astonishing it is. With such clear and inviting print and lovely white substantial paper, I really am amazed. Wow. Why couldn't she have looked this way when she first appeared? I don't know. I do thank you for all you've been through to bring this about, this amazement. Now we shall see what will happen as a result of Twiggy's second birth. She has had a couple of birthday cards already. She has visited our little library here, and all who saw her were enchanted. Rather symbolic it is, having her waiting three days at the old side door where sacks of throwaways are put to be taken to the dumpster. Yes, I call it symbolic. And then, while on the telephone with you in Texas, to open the door and find the two precious packages there, well, it was almost too much. Because I think that FedEx delivered it to her side door and she kept checking the front door. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, here goes my gratitude to you, my admiration and my love. And we'll see, won't we? Much love, Twig. And she had her little drawing there of a twig with her name. And she always put a little heart over the eye. We're so grateful that you shared some of these pictures with us in advance and that you're letting us put them on our website so that our listeners can go ahead, follow the show notes to a link on our website where you can see some of these charming pictures for yourselves. I think it's really a cool thing you're offering your listeners to host these pictures and I'm just I'm happy to share them because when they look at them they'll see her personality shining through her little drawings a lot of these she typed on a typewriter which I can't imagine doing and she put in little hand corrections when she spelled something wrong and it's just it's they've got a lot of character her letters do <laughs> you know my family and I went to the American Writers Museum in Chicago in April And the kids had their first experience playing with typewriters Mm. because they have a number of them there and they couldn't even figure out how to load the paper (laughs) into the typewriter. That's just so strange. I mean, we grew up with it or I grew up with them. I don't know if you did, but I did um, too. Yeah. I guess you you just don't realize that till you think about it. It's like, Hey, well, we don't have typewriters anymore. So they wouldn't know how to use them. That makes perfect sense. But (laughs) Must have been fun for them to like learn what was going on and how they worked. Oh, they were mesmerized by them. And, and truly they want us to buy a typewriter. Now I'm like, the problem is they're really expensive. (laughs) 
But it was interesting at the right American Writers Museum because they have a lot of artifacts from authors, just like you're saying with with Twig and her letters, her typewritten letters with the hand corrections. There are things like that at the museum. I think a lot of people find that stuff fascinating. I sure do. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think um, now that I've been going through all this, I haven't looked at these in many, many years, but I really do think I'm going to try seeing if the Curlin collection is interested in adding these to her papers because she wrote them. So they would add, they would add to what she donated. And plus they would just be there. I don't have to worry about them getting destroyed or anything. I, I want to preserve them for posterity. And I know that they, they take care of everything and be archived. So you printed Twig and she was a bestseller for you because she's mm -hmm. a She's a generous soul. <laughs> she blesses everybody she comes in. Contact. That's right. She helps. She helps. Uh, I guess she helped finance the beginning of our publishing company. <laughs> if you, if you think of it that way. Yes. <laughs> well, there is definitely a charm about her that I think. I agree. So special. So when and how did you come across Big Susan and why did you decide to print that one? I used to live in South Florida. We moved away and then my parents moved there. So I went to visit them probably in like 2004, maybe. I went to a really nice old used bookstore that was near the beach, I think in somewhere in Fort Lauderdale. It had like those big old bookcases, you know, like the dark wood and they yeah. were two stories high and they had like the comfortable chairs to sit in and they had yep. the letters to get up to the stacks of, to all the shelves in the bookstore. It just had a lot of character. And so I was looking around in their children's section and I found Big Susan by Elizabeth Orton Jones. And uh, I, I don't think I was familiar with it until I saw it in their store and I bought it because we did Twig, read it in the store. I liked all the illustrations. And I think when I got home, I got in touch with her agent. We worked out something to do Big Susan and it was the year after we did Twig. So it was oh. just happy coincidence. Because the illustration in Big Susan is actually pretty different from the illustration in Twig. It's Don't very different. Yeah. It's more like a prayer for a child. Yes, it is. That's exactly right. That's what it reminds me of. Big Susan is a sweet story about a magical night, the night before Christmas where dolls come alive. And the dollhouse that she used in the book was her own dollhouse that her mother bought for her secondhand for either six or $7. And her illustrations were so accurate in the book that her she must have talked about it with her personal physician because he ended up building the dollhouse for her, a, a replica, like the true size that she had. And it was a monster of a dollhouse. It was, it was like six or seven feet long. Wow. wow. It's a really sweet story. And so it's another one you're proud of having printed. Was she delighted? She, <laughs> was. She, was just, she was just so happy. I think the best thing for her was signing books for people she you know she had that book signing at the toadstool in peterborough and they they heavily publicized it and everybody in town knew her as twig and so they all wanted to find out about the book twig that she had written and so when she had the signing there was a line out the door and around the corner like around the block around the corner and 
I was just re reading through her letters again. She said that not everybody had a chance to even get their book signed for the amount of time that she was there. <laughs> and oh. so they started, so they started leaving books for her to sign at the library and she would go there and get them and sign them. And then the people would come back and, and you know, and get their books. She just, she kept going on and on about how Twig, you know, she was reborn and she was just so happy that Twiggy was back. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and then she started getting letters from people oh. just telling her how much the book meant to them as a child and she just uh I don't think she realized I mean I think she knew that people liked the books when they were kids but she was not expecting people to get in touch with her 40 years later 50 years later telling her how much the book meant to them when they were little and it just it it just gave her the best feeling in the world so you printed big susan but big susan's not available for sale on your site anymore it just did it not sell as well or it, no it never was as popular as twig but we did keep it in print for well over 15 years and just recently the last year Maybe last year we sold out all of our remaining copies and that's all our license allowed us to do was to sell our remaining stock. We don't have rights to do the story anymore. So that'll be an interesting thing for our listeners to understand is that rights are time sensitive and they are quite specific about what you can and cannot do. And that's different for every, every project, right? Even yeah, each book is different. Usually when you work with a major publisher, like, Simon and Schuster, Harper Collins, whoever, they always put a time limit on your deal. And if you can be lucky enough to work with the author or their family, then usually you can have the rights for the full length of the copyright, which is much nicer to have. So you went to Florida and you met Leonard Kessler. Did you ever meet Twig in person? I never did. I should have, but I, I never did. No. Well, here's the letter I have that she sent me the day after her book signing. So it was in December of 2001. And she always put the data up in the upper right corner of the letter. And this one just says day after the signing. I'm watching. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because it was that important to her. You know, it was just, it was a big event in her life at 91. Dear Jill, what a day was yesterday. Never have I had such a day. Truly magical. Friends who were there and have called me about it felt the same way. Those faces. Oh, if I could do a big painting of all those faces, all that delight. Old men, young men, old women, children, all with the same expression. It was like being in heaven. Surely it was an event planned by the fairy queen. And where was she? In Texas. If it hadn't been for you feeling the way you felt about books like Twig petering out, and while dying, really, the magic of yesterday never would have happened. I am so very, 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 very grateful to you. And as for you, you ought to be and deserve to be deeply happy over the success of your hard work. Love and enormous thank you, Twig. And then she says, P.S. I've been getting calls today from people who were not able to be at the signing yesterday, but wanting to say that what a wonderful occasion it was all very exultant. And, and then um, she sent me this on a card and it has a bunch of branches on the front with a bird sitting on one of the twigs. 
And it says, on the front, very like what I saw looking out of my window that morning after I saw that little girl from the train and I decided to name her Twig. That's so beautiful. For people who don't know, the reference to Texas was, I used to live in Texas. And when I first published this book, we were in Texas, not Kentucky. It's so important to tell the story that these authors felt like their books were dying, right? Well, she felt that Twig was dead, you know, and Twig had gray hair and was pale. Right, right. Because the dust jacket was faded. I think I, I think I told you I had a library discard that I used for the inside of the book, but I didn't have a dust jacket and I, Uh I seem to remember now that she sent me her artist proof because it didn't have any creases in it. That's right. She sent me her artist proof of the cover and that's what I used to create ours, but it was very pale and I like pumped up the color in Photoshop and made it look like it did, you know, 60 years ago, which is really 80 years ago now. Right. (laughs) Isn't it wild? (laughs) So Okay, for those of us who have never seen the original, how does your cover compare to the original cover? Oh, it's exactly the same. The hard cover that she, that Elizabeth Orton Jones saw was a facsimile of the original edition. It was the same size. Everything was, was as close as I could get it to the original. And it was unabridged. It was exact. And I, I wanted it to have that really old fashioned feeling. And it looks exactly like it did originally. Wow. I love that. Yeah. It definitely, it feels like you're walking into a time portal when you read this book. It, it yeah, feels I agree. I agree yeah. because you know, like when elf talks, he has little tiny text Yeah, and that's the way it was in the original too. Oh, <laughs> that's marvelous. <laughs> she made a handmade doll of twig and of elf with his little potato peel clothing (laughs) in our phone calls we had talked about having dolls made to go along with the books but and so she sent me hers as an idea to try to copy but it it didn't work out but it was just so sweet that she wanted me to have those dolls and I still have them they're sitting on the shelf like five feet away from me right now so are those dolls she made or someone made for her no they were handmade she made them Oh, <laughs> but I, I really think I'm going to donate them to the Historical Society of um, Highland Park where where she donated her dollhouse, because I think oh. it'd be fitting to have them together. Yeah, that's very kind of you because you could just keep them. They are treasures. <laughs> I've had them. I've had them for probably 20 years, so I should really share them with other people. <laughs> So for those people who are in the Midwest and who might be in Chicago, what is at the Historical Society in Highland Park of hers? I think think there are some dolls there. I've seen pictures um, on their Facebook page. They have, um, they have them sitting, they have several of the dolls sitting on a little couch and they, they look so similar. They're so similar in type to the dolls that are in Big Susan. It's adorable. Oh, sweet. (laughs) It seems like she and Leonard Kessler and Roger Bradfield all felt rediscovered when you republished their books. Is that right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. They were, they were all three of them, very imaginative people too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know how (laughs) Pickle Chiffon Pie is. (laughs) 
It's so bright and colorful and imaginative. And it every is. one of his books was that way. So, I mean, you know what I say in my review, the dust jacket, like who reads dust jackets? <laughs> I mean, people do, but you don't expect the dust jacket to be a story unto itself. <laughs> That's Roger he, Bradfield. He always had such a unique take on everything. <laughs> I mean, I asked him to write a little blurb for the front flap of the dust jacket, the pickle chiffon pie. So what does he do? He writes the recipe on how to make pickle chiffon pie. And it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, we didn't even get into the book. We had to read the recipe three times because I was laughing, cracking up each time. <laughs> that is a truly creative person. And I read in that one of the articles that she said that she was thinking about, see, Leonard was the same way. He was in his 80s and his 90s and he always came up with new ideas for books. And he had a little box that he put his ideas in. He would write them down on a piece of paper and he would put it in his idea box. And she was the same way. She she wanted to put a book together of all these letters that people have been sending her and she wanted, and I, I don't think it ever was published, but she must've had a really good time organizing it and putting it together. We feel very privileged that you let us in like this. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for making me go find these letters again. <laughs> you are welcome. I hadn't revisited them in a long time and I forgot. And I just forgot the joy that she conveyed in these letters. And it's just so much fun to go back and reread them. It's like, I'm getting them all over again. Oh, it's yeah. probably been 10 years since I've read these. And I, <laughs> so, That's awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> and now we're going to do something with them so other people can yes. experience that joy too. <laughs> That's fun. I'm, I'm glad people are going to get to see what she was like personally and not just read her books. They're going to get to know more about her in her own words, really. 